listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. question for you to consider is a question that most of us have asked at one point or another. It's the answer we, we all want to know. Why am I here? Right? What am I here for? What is my purpose? And there's a million different responses people have given to this, and there, there's answers that we think of in our heads as well, even if we don't necessarily say it in so many words. Uh, but here's a few examples. Steve Maraboli, who's a life coach, says, you are here to achieve your greatest self. Robert Kennedy says, you are here to contribute in some way to making things better. And Merida says, our fate lives within us. You only have to be brave enough to see it. She's a Disney character. But if we are Christians, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, then we have a very specific answer we can give to that. We are here to be missionaries. We are here as God's missionaries. Can can you say that with me? I am God's missionary. I am God's missionary. One more time. I am God's missionary. We think of missionaries as being people that cross salt water and go over to Africa or, or live in a third world country. But what we are discovering is that the United States actually is the fourth largest mission field in the world. There are countries now sending missionaries here to the United States in order to, to bring the gospel to them. So we don't have to cross salt water to be missionaries. Mission, missionaries are who we are just by the fact of people of all tribes and tongues and nations kind of showing up at our doorstep here. So I am God's missionary. This is the, the main point that, that we want to, to bring forward. And last week we talked about this passage, the, the Great Commission. And we're going to camp out there this week and next week as well. And last week we focused on one word, right? Go. Go. Jesus calls his disciples to go and to make other disciples. The church, we as believers, as God's missionaries, are sent out beyond the four walls of the church to bring his love to the world. Now, last week we talked about there's a number of of different barriers to that, a number of reasons that we don't always go or we hesitate to go, and kind of these have to do with misconceptions of how we understand the purpose of church. And we talked about three of those. Number one, the church is not a building, right? The church is not brick and mortar and wood. The church is people. Church is human beings. Wherever the church is, there goes Jesus. So that was number one is the church is not a building. Number two, the church is not just Sunday mornings, right? Church is not just Sunday mornings. We gather here together on Sunday mornings, but then we are always going out. And even as we exit the doors of the church, we are still just as much God's people, His church, as we were when we were gathered here together. The church is not just Sunday mornings. 
And then finally, the church is not yours or mine. Church is not yours or mine. Sometimes we can kind of claim ownership or or feel like uh, something is our particular territory or our ministry or, or something like that. But biblically speaking, the church is God's. It always has been and it always will be. This is His mission to save and redeem and reconcile lost humanity to Himself. And He simply chooses us as His missionaries to go and be a part of that. Today, like I mentioned, we are going to zoom in once again on this great commission of Jesus from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And you can rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Here's the game plan for the next two Sundays. Disciples of Jesus go as they are with all authority to all the world for the purpose of making other disciples. Today we're going to cover the first two points. The next two we'll cover next week. So point number one, disciples of Jesus go as they are. Now, it's interesting when we review the past actions of Jesus' disciples here in this passage as he's about to send them, to call them, commission them to be his ambassadors, his missionaries to the world. If we stop and reflect on where the disciples have been and what they have done, we come to find out that their conduct is anything but exemplary. One of Jesus' disciples was Judas. And what did Judas do? Well, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We think of the apostle Peter who denied Jesus not once, but three separate times. And also broke his oath to Jesus in saying that he would never do that. We have the disciples as they are approaching the Mount of Olives, and Jesus enters there, and he, he, he begins to pray, and he asks them to stay awake and to keep watch and to pray with him, and what do they do? Fall asleep again and again and again. All these things, there's this pattern of, of repetition. And by the end, all of Jesus' disciples will abandon him. They will flee from him. And where do we find them? after the crucifixion of Jesus. Well, we find them cowering for fear behind locked doors. It's just like there's one miserable failure 
after another miserable failure, after another miserable failure. And it seems sort of shocking that these are the ones that God is going to choose to send out into the world, doesn't it? I mean, couldn't he have picked the A-team here or something? Holy cow. Listen to what Craig Kester says about this. He says, one wonders whether this is a good idea to have this group of disciples who do not all have their act together going out to make other disciples. Jesus might have been more selective in whom he called and sent, but apparently Jesus sees things differently. Interesting, isn't it? The other thing I found fascinating about Jesus and his demeanor toward his disciples at this point is there is a notable lack of condemnation. I mean, this would have been an awkward meeting by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like the last time he had seen his friends, what had they done? They, they, they'd fled and basically abandoned him, given him up for dead, right? And now he shows up face to face. I mean, can, can you imagine like, oh, hey guys, how's it going? Remember me? The one you betrayed, the one you abandoned, go and think about what you've done. That's what we might expect him to say, you know? Take some time, really reflect on, on the great sin that, that you have committed, but, but he doesn't condemn them in this passage. Even the early church fathers noticed this. There's a quote from John Chrysostom, who I believe is a 5th century Bishop, and he says, Jesus does not scold Peter for his denial or any of the others for their flight. There's no scolding going on here, is there? There's, there's no calling them out for their sin. Instead, what does Jesus do? Well, he recommissions them. He commissions them once again for the ministry. And the disciples' reaction in particular is really telling here. This is, this is verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, it's not clear who this some who doubted were, but in all likelihood, there's a good chance that this was some of the same people that were worshipping him. You see, worship of God and, and fear are kind of mixed together here, right? There's doubt and there is doubt and worship all mixed into the same human beings. And that is a picture of who we are and what we all struggle with and wrestle with here, this side of heaven. See, Jesus doesn't choose perfect sanctified, 100% holy saints, He chooses sinner saints, people who are considered saints, not because of anything they have done, but because of what Jesus has done on their behalf, and yet who still wrestle mightily with sin. These are not perfect disciples. And here, here's the, the point in all of this, really, is just to say, we don't have to be perfect to be God's missionaries. We don't have to be perfect to be God's missionaries. You know, I think in our heads, a lot of times we have this idea of what being 
a good witness, a good follower of Jesus would be, right? And we think, well, I'm not there yet, okay? But maybe after a few more years of, of practice, and once I've, I've reached a certain threshold of, of holiness or something, maybe then I'll be good enough to be a disciple of Jesus. That's not a distinction that Jesus makes. He doesn't. Instead, he uses these disciples who are still struggling, who are very human, who are, they fail and they get it wrong again and again and again. Interestingly enough, even by the end of the gospel, like they're still not getting it. It's funny, if you were to do like a character development uh, graph of the disciples, you know, it's one step forward, two steps back so much of the time, right? Like they kind of get it, but then they don't. And now by the very end, of the gospel when you think, okay, they should kind of have this through their heads right now. They don't. I don't know about you, but the burning question in my mind, that the fear that I have sometimes in being a disciple and being a missionary for God is, what if I get it wrong? Right? Does that sound a little bit familiar? What if I get it wrong? What if, what if I say the wrong words? What if I say too much? What, what if I don't say enough? What if I quote a Bible verse out of context? Or like, what if I unnecessarily offend this person? I think that's something that most of us have, have kind of wrestled with to one degree or another. But here's the really good news, guys. God knows we are not going to get it perfect. And he chooses to use us anyway. And in fact, He has already made provision for the many ways that we will fail Him. In the Old Testament, when He takes the Israelites into the desert, one of the very first things God does is He establishes the sacrificial system. Why? Because He knows they are going to sin. He knows these are not perfect saints that He has called to do His work. In fact, sinners are all God has to work with. I'll tell you just a short story. Before I came here, I was on the East Coast, Princeton, New Jersey, and we were right out there when COVID just hit like really hard. And New York City, if you remember at the beginning, was the epicenter of, of all this. So it was kind of a really scary time when we didn't know like anything about this virus, right? And um, so we were all trying to, to figure things figure things out. And I think it was within the, the the second or third week when this had happened, and services were I don't remember if we were closed down with services, but we were dialing back at least. And and I was over in the church one day, and it was a small church, so I was a lot of times the only one there. But a random lady just showed up at the church door. I never had this happen really before. But she said she wanted to talk to someone. I said, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you. So we went inside. We set our chairs a good six feet apart. And we sat down and we talked. <clears throat> I still don't know exactly why she was there. But what she did tell me was, man, I'm lonely. <laughs> I'm lonely. She was an elderly person and... and she didn't have a lot of family or, or friends there at the time, and, you know, COVID had created this epidemic of loneliness, right? We don't have these, 
in-person connections that are so valuable to who we are as, as human beings. And I didn't know a lot about her. I didn't totally have the answers for her really at all. What I could do was I could listen to her and I could pray for her. That's what I did. I didn't get out my Jesus hose, as some people say, and, and spray her down with that. I gave her a cup of cold water. Did I know what I was doing? Not exactly. Did I say the right thing? I don't know. God chose to use me anyway. And He does this again and again in our lives, in our interactions with other people. So that's number one. Disciples go as they are. Number two, disciples also go with all authority. You'll notice in the passage here, there's a little word, therefore. And whenever you, you read the word, therefore, in the text, what do you ask? You say, what is the therefore, therefore? Because therefore means there's a connection to what was previously said. So listen to this again. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You see, it's based on Jesus' authority. That's what gives us the power. That's what gives us the ability to actually go out and be disciple-makers for Jesus is His authority. The word used here for authority, it means the right to control or command. And we see Jesus' authority demonstrated all over the place, throughout the Gospels in particular. He's doing all sorts of of things to demonstrate that he is in control, that he is in charge, right? He's casting out demons, and the demons recognize his authority. He won't even permit them to speak because they know who he is. He's performing all of these physical healings, showing that he is, is Lord, not just of the, the spiritual realm, but of the physical as well. We have the temptation by Satan where he triumphs over Satan and he defeats him with these three temptations. And then, of course, we have the teaching of Jesus. And there's something about the teaching of Jesus that people recognize and they say, hold on, something is different about this. Listen to Matthew 7, 28 through 29. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Something about Jesus came from this place of authority where people recognized it. Now, we think about this word authority, and sometimes we have negative connotations associated with it. We don't love authority figures. We don't love being told what to do. Maybe you do. I don't. Ask my wife. Ask uh, anybody that I know. But here's a little picture of, of kind of what authority is and what it's like to have authority versus not having authority. So in high school, we used to have these things called hall passes. You guys still do these? Hall passes, is that a thing? Okay, you get a hall pass in high school, you feel like the king of the world. I did, anyway. I mean, you, you get a hall pass and you're... You're out in this empty hallway and you're looking at all of these chumps in the other rooms just like learning math and science and here I am. Got the whole hallway to myself. Look at all this freedom. Man, I'm, I'm really something here. 
And the, the only way you could have that authority, at least back in my day, was the teacher would have to write you a note or they would give you their, their words. Saying, you'd ask them, okay, can I, can I use the restroom? Can I go to the office? Can I do whatever? And they would say, yes, here's, here's your hall pass. And you carry that thing around like it was a lottery ticket. I had one teacher who was really mean about it. He, would, he didn't like to give hall passes, so what he did was he chose a random object in the room and he made you carry that around as a hall pass just to like embarrass you so that nobody would use the bathroom. He had a... Uh, an old toilet seat. So you have to carry around the old toilet seat. I remember one time I had to go and he, he made me carry around a, a coat rack. This like really big heavy coat rack. So it was kind of a, a deterrent. But you have that hall class, that gives you authority. Here's another, maybe more serious example. Imagine that there is a situation where we have someone who's about to face the death penalty. And just before it happens, somebody runs into the room and they say, hold on, hold on, stop, right? This, this can't happen. This, this is not going to happen, all right? This person is, is free. And the guard asks him, well, yeah, but who are you? And by what authority do you say this? And they're like, well, I just don't think it should happen. So they take him. They wrestle that person out, and everything goes forward as planned, right? No authority. But if that person were to march in with a letter with bearing the presidential seal on it, giving an official pardon, that's a different story, right? Because then they do have the authority. They do have the ability to speak for the person whose seal they bear. They have all of that Authority. And we, as Jesus' disciples, walk around bearing the seal of Jesus. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which is very different from every other authority figure in our life, right? Because every other authority figure in our life only has partial authority. They only have authority over a particular area or a particular sphere. The bully has authority, but just over the playground during that one hour of, of school. Your teacher has authority, but only so long as you're in the classroom. Your coach has authority, but only while you're on the field or at practice or whatever, right? But Jesus' authority is drastically different because he has all authority and there are no limits to his jurisdiction, it's not limited to a particular time or place, and it never expires either. There's no term limit to King Jesus. In the passage that we read here where it talks about Jesus having authority, it's actually, interestingly, it's an allusion to the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, very quickly we'll turn to Daniel chapter 7, and I'm just going to read two verses, 13 through 14. This is Daniel, and he's, he's, had this, he's having this vision, and there are these, these four crazy beasts that he's having a vision of. It sounds like a, a weird, trippy, psychedelic dream or, or something, but all of these, these beasts come, and they rule, and then uh, they don't rule anymore. They're, they're destroyed, and so then he mentions these 
verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Son of man, do you recognize that from anywhere in the New Testament? It's Jesus' name for himself. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, that's the authority of King Jesus. And His authority is available to us. We bear His seal wherever we go. And as disciples, that is what empowers us. So disciples of Jesus go, number one, as they are. Number two, with all authority. Next week, we'll wrap up this passage by talking about how disciples also go to all peoples. And, number four, for the purpose of making other disciples. See, God is on a mission to to redeem and restore His lost and broken creation. And we, as His missionaries, we are the way that He does that. We don't go under our own authority. We go under the authority of the ruler of heaven and earth who laid aside his crown and scepter to pick up his cross for us. And we don't wait until we're black belt Christians, whatever that means, who have it all together before we go because God's got this. It's his church. It's His disciples, His mission. He is faithful and just, and He will see it through. Guys, we are really just along for the ride here. So as you exit the church today, you go forth as God's dearly beloved and forgiven children. May we be a people who seek to share that same love and forgiveness with our neighbors. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.